And the reason we're going into this is because we're not hearing the Word of God very much anymore in our day. And if we're going to be an apprentice or a disciple of Jesus Christ, if we need to know what anybody said, we need to know what he said. We need to know what Jesus said. How many of you love Jesus and are thankful for Jesus? All right. Matthew 5, 38. We're going to read uh, 10 quick verses. It goes quickly. And uh, this is out of the Message Bible, something that somebody sent to me. And uh, I just wanted to put it up here before we read the verses because it so covers this whole notion of apprenticeship. Look what it says. Happiness is not a word we can understand by looking it up in a dictionary. In fact, none of the qualities of the Christian life can be learned out of a book. Something more like apprenticeship is required. Moments of verbal instruction will occur like they are today, but mostly an apprentice acquires skill by daily and intimate association with a master. Good stuff. Picking up subtle but absolutely essential things. All right, let's read the verses from the master, Jesus Christ. Can we stand to read these? And then we're going to pray together, then you can be seated the rest of the day, unless I preach you to your feet. (laughs) A woman met me at the door today, and she goes, all right, they're going to be fire today. I said, well, I feel on fire. She said, all right. I really feel on the spot now. All right. The master, Jesus said... You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, don't resist an evil person. If somebody strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Say, what? That's not only not natural, it's not Texan. But now let's go on. If somebody wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if somebody forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who asks you, and don't turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Now notice in closing, Jesus gives us here four situations in which we are to practice non-resistance to personal injury, affronts, and inconveniences. So can we say it together? Say what? I don't even like these verses. Father, we just thank you for your blessing today. Make this real to us that we can be apprentices of the Master, disciples of the Lord. We thank you for speaking to our hearts. I thank you for dissolving offenses. I thank you, Lord, for removing stumbling blocks from our heart. I thank you for doing divine surgery on this congregation today. Lord, I thank you for it and praise you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, you better perk up and listen. You're going to need this by the time you get home. Jesus said that if we loved him, we would practice what he taught. Jesus said, if you love me, you will do what I say. Why call me Lord, Lord? and you don't do what I say. The whole reason that we're in this Apprentice series and we moved on now into the talk on the hill is we've been sharing that a disciple hears and then does. A disciple doesn't just hear and then walk away. 
A disciple hears and then puts into practice what he heard. We are hearers and doers, not just hearers only, because then the Word of God doesn't profit us at all. Jesus said, if he was our Lord, we would do what he said. The essence of discipleship and apprenticeship is we are listeners who then obey. We hear the word of God so that we can go do what he said. Jesus is the master teacher. He is the ultimate life coach. And Jesus gave us not only the way to salvation, but he taught us how to live on this planet. I've said it many times, I'm going to say it again. Jesus is the greatest philosopher in the history of the world. There isn't anybody that taught like Jesus. Nobody understood life like Jesus. Nobody understood relationships like Jesus. Nobody understood the way you and me are wired like Jesus. He taught us how to live. And he said, I've come that you might have abundant life in the here and now. And as a pastor of many, many years, I used to look around me, and I didn't see a whole lot of Christians walking around with abundant life. And I began to wonder why. Well, yeah, I'm saved, but it looks like salvation wasn't real good for you. You got just enough to make you miserable. You got inoculated. You got anesthetized. You've had enough of the Word to make you miserable, but not full of abundant life. And I began to make a connection that the, the problem was that we had not been taught how to live in the here and now, according to what Jesus said. And so, man, if I'm going to give my life to this and preach it and teach it and live for it and die for it and crucify my flesh for it, then, man, I want to know what he said, and I want to live it. How can you practice, though, what Jesus said if you don't know what he said or if you know what he said but you didn't really understand it? i got to tell you, folks, as a preacher, as a pastor, as a teacher of the Word of God, I'm distressed that I don't see very many preachers anymore teaching the Scriptures. They get up and give three points in a poem. They tell you how to be successful in life from a sort of a motivational standpoint. But Jesus, the Master of life, told us how to live life where we would experience abundant life. So let's get down to what he said. And the best gift I can give you as your pastor is to give you what Jesus said. Aren't we here because of him? If you're here for any other reason, come on over. We're here for Jesus. So we're going through some of the most misunderstood things that Jesus said and trying to bring them into balance and into some clarity. Because we want to know what the greatest teacher and philosopher and life coach in the history of the world said about life and living. I want to know what he meant. Now, if you've been here the last few weeks, you know that the talk on the hill is a progression. He is taking us sort of up a ladder, up steps. And it is designed, his teaching in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, is designed to give us a kingdom heart. A heart like his. A heart that manifests like his. He wants to change us in the here and now. And so Jesus came fresh out of the gate when he started teaching and he dealt with the two biggies that have attacked mankind, fallen man, and they are anger and lust. Or sex and violence, as we would know them. 
And he dealt with that. He dealt with not walking in anger. And he dealt with not walking in lust. And if you weren't here last week, you need to get that CD. I can't tell you how many people have thanked me for teaching on the subject of lust. In his Sermon on the Mount, or what we're calling the Talk on the Hill, Jesus deals with heart conditions that keep us from enjoying kingdom benefits. And what are the benefits of the kingdom? Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. The kingdom of God, Paul wrote, is not meat and drink, but it's righteousness. Not just righteousness by the blood, but righteousness in our behavior righteousness in our lifestyle. He said it's righteousness, then peace, then joy in the Holy Ghost. And one follows the other. You don't have peace until you've got righteousness with God. And you don't have joy till you've got peace. Joy springs from peace and being rightly aligned in the will of God. That's where joy comes from. So what are the benefits of the kingdom? I've been declared righteous, righteous by God. I'm going to heaven. But he's also leading me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake on this earth. And then following that righteousness, the benefit of the kingdom of God is peace. I've got peace like a river. I've got joy like a fountain. I've got the peace of God inside of me, the peace that passes all understanding. It is God's peace. It is not dependent on what is happening out here. It springs from within. It is the peace of God. I've got peace like a river and then that joy, that joy, that abundant life, that joy where there is a skip in your step. There is a smile on your face. There is a gleam in your eye. You are happy. Jesus said, happy are you if you do what I said. Anybody in here want to be happy? Amen. He said, you're not going to experience the righteousness of his kingdom until your heart is right, until you're experiencing a kingdom heart. So Jesus, the great physician, leads us through the talk on the hill. And what he basically does is he untangles the philosophical and the attitudinal mess that we're in. We need to be retaught. We need to see the world through his eyes. We need to see people through his eyes. We need to see trials through his eyes. Now next on his hit list, after anger and lust, he goes to the next problem. One more step up the ladder, and here it is. It's the issue of revenge. Now I know and nobody in here has ever wanted revenge, but you can get the CD and take this to somebody who you know <laughs> feels that way. <clears throat> Now, just with the anger issue, and the same as with the lust issue, Jesus starts out quoting the Old Testament. And he says, you have heard that it has been said by the prophets of old, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, now here he comes. He's not doing away with the law. He's taking it deeper. He is taking it to the heart issue. And he says, I say to you, Love your enemies. And he changes this whole concept of an eye for an eye or a tooth for a tooth. But that was an Old Testament verse. 
It was an Old Testament law. And here's what it said. Injurers should be injured in exactly the same way as they had injured another. That was the eye for eye and tooth for tooth. And God gave that law. It's in Exodus and other places in the Old Testament. Injurers should be injured on the same level or to the same degree that they had injured somebody else. We would call it the get-even law. I like that law. Our courts are built on that law. It was called the law of retaliation. And it was set in by God based on the fact that satisfaction would come to the injured person if reciprocity of the injury was levied out to the person who had done it. In other words, if somebody broke my arm, I want to see their arm broken. If somebody put out my eye, I want to see their eye put out. If somebody uh, tripped me, I want to see them tripped. If somebody slandered me, I want to see them slandered. It was the law of retaliation, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. If somebody hits me and knocks out my front teeth, then bless God, I want them captured, and I want to see them hit and them lose their front teeth. And I'm supposed to walk away feeling better about that. The only problem was it didn't work. You know why? Because when anger and wrath are involved, you always divvied out more than what they had done to you. Well, he broke my arm, so I broke two. He knocked out one tooth, so I knocked out his whole mouthful of teeth. I feel better now. The law of retaliation. How many of you like that law? In your flesh. Come on, let's get real today. I like that law. Now you got to remember, we're in a progression here in the talk on the hill. Remember that Jesus has already dealt with anger and contempt and bitterness in the talk on the hill. He's already dealt with that. He's already taught us not to live our lives in the simmering cauldron of anger. He's already taught us and that we must forgive in the kingdom of God. But I want to ask you a question now. Isn't it true? We in America, we like revenge. We like vengeance in America. We've even created vengeance heroes. It goes all the way back. I was channel surfing the other night and ran across an old Charles Bronson movie, Death Wish. I think there were five Death Wishes. And what was Death Wish? It was a famous architect whose wife and daughter were murdered. And so his whole life became a life of vengeance. And he was sort of the original vigilante that Hollywood created to glorify the concept of vengeance. And we always liked it when Clint Eastwood, as Dirty Harry, pulled out that revolver that was half rifle, half pistol, cornered the person who had done dirty, and said, go ahead, make my day. And we like seeing him divvy out vengeance. And then there was Arnold Schwarzenegger and the Terminator. I be back. I be back. And what was he? He was a professional Terminator. He was a vengeance machine. 
And we love seeing Arnold chase him down as the Terminator and wreak vengeance and revenge on wrongdoers because there's something inside the human condition that is retaliatory. There is something inside the fallen human heart that is retaliatory. We like to retaliate for wrongs that have been done to us. Do you? Oh, Lord, don't judge them yet. (laughs) Don't judge them yet. It reminds me of a story of a bride and groom who got married in the horse and buggy days. They rode off on their honeymoon and the horse bolted. And the guy said, that's one. The horse bolted again. And he said, that's two. And the horse bolted a third time. He took out a gun and killed the horse. His wife said, that's terrible. You can't do that. He said, that's one. Oh, yeah. Because you see, you see, there's, say what? There's something retaliatory inside of us. We like to see vengeance wreaked on people who have wronged us. But here comes Jesus, and even though vengeance is all around us, and our culture has glorified vengeance and glorified revenge and made it look like something honorable and even heroic, Jesus says to the apprentice of his, to respond to personal injury by vengeance is wrong. Say, well, then then how in the world am I supposed to respond to personal injury when somebody has slapped me, so to speak? Somebody has wronged me. Somebody's done me dirty. Somebody has wronged me. Let me tell you how Jesus said we're to do it. First of all, you've got to view the situation differently from the world does. You've got to view the situation of your offense differently than the world does. Well, how am I to see it? We see ourselves and our life in God's hands. You see, if I'm injured and I don't know God, <clears throat> I know no reality above my head. There is nobody up there. There's nobody in charge of the universe, nobody in charge of a creation. I am all by myself, a product of evolution, and I'm on my own in an apathetic, apathetic and cold universe, and somebody injures me, then the only person I've got to go to is me. The only thing I've got to deal with is my own heart. I am left to myself to work through those terrible emotions. But if I know that there is a God, and He is in charge of His world, and He is providential, and He sees everything, And he's got me in his hands. And he's guiding my life. If I know that, it changes everything. When you get slapped as an apprentice of Jesus Christ, you've got to keep in mind that the whole situation is bigger than just you. God is involved. David wrote these words, my times are in your hand. My times are in your hand. Every minute that I've got on this planet is in your hand. My times are in your hand. He said, you know when I sit down. You know when I stand up. You know what I think from far away. You know what I'm going to say before I even say it. I am surrounded. You're above me. You're below me. You're beside me. You're in me. I can't escape from you. 
And that is beautiful news. You know why? Because it says, bottom line, God sees what is done to you. And if I know that, it makes a huge difference when somebody slaps me. Second thing you've got to remember is this. You've got to see your offender as being under the hand of God. The one who slapped you, not only did God see you get slapped, he saw who did the slapping. You've got to keep that in mind. And the Bible says, touch not my anointed. The Bible is very clear. If somebody does it to you, they did it to him. So God not only saw what was done to you, saw your hurt, measured it in the balances, but he saw who did it to you. And he saw what they did. And he saw the motivation of their heart. He saw the intent that was in them. He knew and he saw it. And the Bible says if you know that you're in his hands and that they are in his hands, guess what? You've got something the lost person who doesn't know God does not have. You have the ability to turn the whole injury over to God. Listen to what Paul said. My dear friends, do not seek revenge, but leave a place for divine retribution. For the scripture says, justice is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. I will repay. I'll be back. I will repay. I will repay. So he says, you get out of the way. I will repay. Interesting, my friends are here from East Texas. When I was living in East Texas, Kathy and I got two acres of land where we built a little 1,700-square-foot house. We were out there in the middle of the wilderness, in the middle of nowhere. And I remember very distinctly and very clearly there was a man in our church way back when who had a lot of money. He was a very powerful individual financially. And for some reason, I don't even know to this day why, he turned on me. Can you believe that? <laughs> and here's how I knew that he had done it. Because one day I looked out my, my front porch, and my front porch just looked out on one of the finest deer stands in all of East Texas. And I wasn't a deer hunter. But there it was. I mean, it was a coveted place, and when I got my land, I got the deer stand. And there was nothing but acreage hooking up to either side of my property. And one day I looked down there, and here he is. And he's got a bunch of workers down there, and they're hammering stakes in right next to my property. And the Holy Spirit said to me clearly these words, He intends to do you evil. Me? I just stand up and preach the Word of God and teach. I'm just a kind of, why would he want to hurt me? He said, don't talk to him. Don't go down there and ask him what he's doing. Give him to me. Because you see, if Jeff had been down there for Jeff's business, it would have been Jeff's problem. But if I'm down there on God's business, and you mess with Jeff who's involved in God's business then you're messing with God. You see, that's the way it works. <clears throat> yeah, 
And so every day I told Kathy, he intends to do us evil. She said, well, go talk to him. I'm not going to talk to him. The Lord told me not to talk to him. He said, give him to him every day. So every day I just said, Lord, I give. We'll call him Bill. His name wasn't Bill, but I'll, Bill, give him to you. I'll just give Bill to you. Every day as I drove to work, give Bill to you. And they'd be out there hammering these stakes in, popping lines, getting ready to build a bunch of stuff. I did this for about a month. And boy, there were times I wanted to go down there and say, what are you doing? And God said, don't say anything to him. And so one day on a Sunday morning, Kathy had gone to work early or church early on a Sunday morning. She had gone before me and I was just about to leave and the doorbell rang and I looked out there and it was Bill. I said, oh no, he's here to shoot me and nobody's here. <laughs> nobody's here. <clears throat> so I thought, do I answer it? And the Lord said, answer the door. And so I opened the door and he said, Pastor, here. He handed me an envelope. I said, what is this? He said, it's the title deed to the acres right down there. I said, why are you doing this? He said, I intended to do you evil. But I was down here last week and my heart began to hurt. Now, I want you to take this right. I want you to take this right. I'm giving an illustration to you. Some of you are scared to death. Did I ever say anything about him? Anything? No. <laughs> Watch this. Watch this now. I said, I said, well, what's this? He said, my heart began to hurt, and they called an ambulance, and they came and got me. And when the ambulance was taking me to the hospital, a voice came into the back of that ambulance and said, leave him alone. And he said, the only way I know that I can get out of trouble is give you the land I was going to hurt you with. I took it. He said, you got to have to give me $10 for it because i got to sell it for something. You never saw $10 produced so fast in all of your life. It was two acres, $10. He said, thank you. You'll never hear from me again. And I never did. My dear friends, do not seek revenge, but leave a place for divine retribution. For the scripture says, justice is mine, says the Lord, I will repay. The whole injury that you experience or I experience when somebody hurts us, the whole injury from start to finish takes place in full view of the eyes of God. And you've got to know that. And that's got to comfort you. That's got to help you. And this is what the follower of Jesus understands. I believe it's what Joseph understood. I believe it's what David understood. I believe it's what all of those Old Testament, New Testament characters understood. I am being injured in the eyes of God. He sees my injury and he sees the injurers. Now God's dealing with it may not always be that dramatic. But he will deal with it if you get out of the way. So say with me, God sees it. So Jesus says that the kingdom response to personal injury is not revenge, but it's turn the other cheek. Now, i got to tell you, I don't think that there is any more difficult saying of Jesus than this one. Turn the other cheek. It conjures up the picture of weakness, of lack of self-esteem, having no self-respect, allowing others to abuse you. You know why it does that? Because we don't understand what he was saying. It's misunderstood. 
I think a lot of men don't follow Jesus because of this statement. They say, well, I can't do that. Somebody slaps me, I'm slapping them back, buddy, you better know. Especially here in Texas. I'm going to whoop them and then repent. <laughs> How'd you hear all those men? Amen. Amen. Who in our world returns good for evil? Who returns good for evil? They say, you're crazy. The kingdom response is almost always opposite the carnal response. And you've got two choices when you're offended, when you're injured. Carnal response, kingdom response. Now let me give you some quick facts about turning the other cheek. I'm going to help you. It's not a law, but it's a picture of a kingdom heart. It's not a law. Listen carefully to me. Jesus was no more telling us to turn our physical face towards somebody who is physically hitting us and saying, go on, man, do it again. In the name of Jesus. He's no more telling us to do that than he literally meant if your hand offends you, cut it off, or if your eye offends you, pluck it out. He is drawing an illustration of a kingdom heart. It's a picture of a kingdom response. A law says, here's what a law says, no matter what you feel, no matter what the context is, no matter how many times they've hit you, you've got to turn the other cheek again. You know what? I can see your funeral. Here lies Joe Smith. He was a noble guy. He died turning the other cheek over and over and over again until he was dead. Now, I want to ask you, what glory does God get from that? Can I give you a secret? There's, there are all kinds of people in our world, if you turn the other cheek, they're happy to hit it again and hit it again and hit it again. Why would you just turn the other cheek and let somebody beat up on you? Can I say something to you, lady? If you're in a house where you're abused, and those of you listening by radio, and you think Jesus is telling you to stand there and turn the other cheek and let some man hit you over and over again, you have misinterpreted the Word of God. I got a word for you. Get out of there. Save your life. Then what did Jesus mean? You've got to take it in context, and here's what Jesus meant. In context, he segues straight from talking about turning the other cheek. He turns into talking about enemies, three kinds. Those who curse you, those who hate you, and those who are going to persecute you. And he names those three kinds of enemies, haters, cursers, and persecutors. You can have a persecutor in your home. You can have a hater at work. You can have somebody cursing you in church. You ever felt that? I curse you in the name of Jesus. God told me to. <laughs> and he talks about loving those enemies, the cursor, the persecutor, and the hater. He talks about loving them by doing good, praying for them, and blessing them. For every negative 
He says, I want you to learn a positive. Bless them, pray for them, do good for them. Why would I do that? That's crazy. Because that's what your heavenly father does. Jesus said, you see God up in heaven? Every day, God makes his son to shine on people who curse his name a hundred times a day. He sends refreshing rain on people who will never turn to him. He sends his son and rain on the just and on the unjust. And Jesus said, you are to be just like him. You. So he says, if you love those who love you, big deal. Everybody does that. You like people that like you, everybody does that. But I'm calling you to bless and do good and pray for those who curse you, hate you, and are reviling you and slandering you. I want you to do good for them. When I do that, I'm turning the other cheek. Because you know what it is when I turn my cheek, if, if, if it's physical, and you stand up here and you come up here and you slap me, if I do this, here's what I'm doing. I'm making myself vulnerable to you, to you hurting me again. And so when I say, I'm going to pray for you even though you're cursing me, I'm turning the other cheek. When I say, I'm going to bless you and I know that you're slandering me, I'm turning the other cheek. Turning the other cheek is not an action of the neck. It's an attitude of the heart. Come on, everybody. Every one of these responses, blessing, doing good, and praying for, are not laws, but they are principles. They are illustrations of what flows out of a kingdom heart. And Jesus said, I want to tell you something. If you'll do it, then you are manifesting the love of your Father, which unconditionally loves people. Now that does not mean, I want to clarify this in closing, it does not mean if somebody wants to physically hurt you, that you bake a pie and take it over to their house. They're liable to grab you and hurt you again. You've got to use wisdom with what Jesus taught. If somebody wants to hurt you, pray for them long distance. Let God send an angel in your stead. There is to be wisdom exercised with these things. But Jesus said, it's not a law, it's an illustration. So that if you come slap me, if I hear you slandered me, if I hear you said something terrible about me, then what I'm going to do is I'm going to say, oh, God, forgive them. They know not what they do. I don't believe they do. Then I'm free, and I've released God onto them. And that's what we want. Can you say with me, don't slap back? Can you stand with me? And I think this is the hardest thing, probably, that Jesus taught. But you know what I want to encourage some of you to do? Some of you have been hurt. You've been injured. God saw your injury. And he sees it now. God saw who did it. And he sees them now. Can I tell you a third thing? God's bigger than they are. He is so much bigger than they are. If you just say, Lord, I'm going to turn the other cheek, 
I'm praying for them. I'm turning the other cheek. Bless them. I'm turning the other cheek. If I see where I can do good, I'm going to do good for them. Exercising wisdom with everything. There you've turned the other cheek. And God will bless you. Father, I just thank you that you have come to deliver us from offenses. You have come, Lord, to set our hearts free so that we can have a heart like yours. For you, Lord, prayed from the cross. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And you kept your heart free till the day you died. Help us to have a heart like yours. And I want you to take a moment. If there's anybody you need to bless, anybody you need to pray for, do it because in so doing, you're setting yourself free and you're releasing God on the situation. In Jesus' name, let's worship just a moment. And I want you to pray. Thank you, Lord.